Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. The key thing to understand about cryptocurrencies is that the innovation isn't so much the cryptocurrency, but the crypto network. And really, we'll see things that we can't even imagine yet because it's going to just move money so much more quickly than we've seen today. Um, anyway, maybe I could start over. <laughs> it's hard for an 80-year-old. Um, the subject of today's hearing is cryptocurrency. The crypto frenzy. The crypto world. They, uh, they're just creating this money out of nowhere. I mean, the value of Dogecoin. Let me turn to cryptocurrency. Can anybody explain that to me? Could, could, I, could I take a shot? Crypto trading. Bitcoin. Blockchain. Dogecoin. Digital currency has never been a hotter topic on Capitol Hill. And that's because, well, would you call it a turning point? We are at a turning point. And I think the turning point isn't so much that, you know, Congress is looking to regulate this. The turning point is that the crypto community is now at a size and, and crypto users are now at a size where it's a very active political force that knows how to mobilize when needed. I'm Tara Palmieri. This is Playbook Deep Dive. So how do you explain something as complex as cryptocurrency, now a $2 trillion market, to lawmakers, a lot of whom are getting up there in age and may not have a ton of experience with new technology? Boy, that is, a, <laughs> you know, if you're in your 80s, like, we, we, we almost write you off as a lost cause. Kristen Smith is a lobbyist in the crypto space. I am the executive director of the Blockchain Association, which is the trade association based in Washington, D.C. that represents the cryptocurrency industry. A blockchain, by the way, that's a digital ledger where Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency transactions are publicly recorded. Anyway, Kristen's had some experience explaining this world to members of Congress, both young and old. You know, we try to meet them where they're at. You know, the traditional way is to kind of go through the history of blockchain and cryptocurrencies, right? And so what you do is you start with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the original. And, and for many years, it was sort of the only network of its type. And Bitcoin is a very simple network, right? It is simply keeping a ledger of transactions. So you're moving value from one person to the next person and you have you have all of those records that are being kept in a central location. That is very simple. Yeah, simple. Right. I wish I had a better way to describe it to 80 year olds, but that's really hard. <laughs> it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Because right now, cryptocurrency is everywhere. You know, before you had to represent Silicon Valley or maybe New York to be a part of this innovation. But with crypto networks, you can be sitting in any congressional district in any state in the country and tap in and be a part of this process. Lawmakers have introduced more than a dozen bills around cryptocurrency this year alone. In fact, two of the biggest pieces of legislation moving through Congress right now, infrastructure and the Democrats' multi-trillion dollar budget reconciliation package, they both include language that would slap new tax rules on digital currency. If you look at what happened in August in the infrastructure bill, 
There were over 40,000 phone calls made to Congress over the course of five days because constituents who are software developers or who contribute hardware to the network or who are just end users who like to invest in cryptocurrency, uh, they became incredibly motivated and picked up the phone to call their senators because they didn't like the language that was in the infrastructure bill. So let's back up for a second. What is digital currency? The best analogy is it's it's sort of the internet for for the transfer of value. And why does it matter that lawmakers understand how it works? Well, because not knowing what you're legislating about is a recipe for disaster, and things are moving fast. It's incredibly complicated, there's a lot of nuance, and it's all moving very quickly. And lawmakers on both sides are going head-to-head over how to regulate the increasingly popular technology. Unlike, say, the stock market, the crypto world currently has no consumer protection. None. We need to understand what are the cybersecurity risks. But if I can misinterpret this, I think others could too. And some clarity, public clarity, I think would be helpful. Because people don't really know what it is, so much of the conversation is basically just explaining stuff to people. My colleague, Victoria Guida. I'm an economics reporter at Politico is here to explain all this to me, and to you too. And while she does write about cryptocurrency... I do not have cryptocurrency, but I do have a funny story. I was actually given part of a Bitcoin as a present a few years ago. It was given to me with a piece of paper that had a QR code on it and like an alphanumeric key, either of which I could use to access the Bitcoin. And then a few months later, I got my dog, and uh, she actually ate the piece of paper. What? So my dog (laughs) ate my Bitcoin. So, Victoria, there's a ton of different digital currencies. You just wrote about one called Stablecoin. It came up in a congressional hearing last week about what should be done to regulate cryptocurrencies. What is Stablecoin? So uh, a stablecoin is a type of cryptocurrency. Um, But the thing that makes it different from other cryptocurrencies that you might have heard about is that its value is tied to something else, usually the dollar. So one stablecoin is the same value as one dollar. And the reason for that is because it's supposed to be sort of a payment token in the crypto world. So you can use stablecoins to buy other crypto. What's going on with it right now? One of the reasons why stablecoins are getting a lot of attention from regulators right now is partially because of what they could be, which is they could be used as sort of payment tokens that we use on e-commerce sites. So there's actually an organization called the Diem Association that's affiliated with Facebook. And the way that they kind of envision it is to have this sort of separate payment system that lives within Facebook. So you'd still have, you know, dollars in your bank account but it would be almost like going to an arcade where you go buy tokens and then you can use those tokens for everything at the arcade. And so stablecoins could become this entirely separate ecosystem of payments. And so regulators want to make sure that they really understand all of the implications of that, including whether uh, when you're done with the arcade, you can actually cash them back in and get the money back for the tokens that you didn't use. Stablecoins are just one type of crypto. I tend to think of crypto in sort of multiple different buckets. One is Bitcoin, which analogy-wise is kind of like gold, because there's a a finite amount of it. And, uh, you know, 
it has value just because people give value to it. And there's even a technological version of what people call mining, um, where basically you unlock new units of Bitcoin. And so that's kind of like real gold where you go and mine and find more of it. So that's just kind of like an asset that you own that can change in value that could be treated more like kind of a commodity. But there are also cryptocurrencies which much more like a security, which is a fancy term for something that can be traded and sort of funds future activity. So like a bond or a stock where you're funding activity in the future. And so um, a lot of what the government is trying to do right now is just figure out the extent to which cryptocurrency activity already fits into regulations that exist and how much the rules need to be expanded to fit these assets. Interesting. This sounds pretty inherently risky then, right? How do you have any trust? I don't know. It just seems like there's no credit. There's no regulation. How do it just it just seems like a dark place to be exchanging resources. Right, exactly. So the, so the, the concern is basically that exactly what you just said, that there aren't necessarily a lot of consumer protections around this. And so there are a lot of different ways that people could get screwed over. And so I think that one of the big things for the government is basically, do people understand the risks that they're taking? And are, do people have enough information to understand the risks they're taking? Because, you know, the thing about crypto is people talk about it, and they immediately start moving into jargon. And, you know, your regular person is just like, what are you talking about? What is happening? <laughs> it feels like the wild, wild west of currency or or some sort of like bootleg currency. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's easy to see why people like it. And it's also easy to see how it could go wrong. OK, so how is this divided on party lines? What do Democrats think of this? And what about Republicans? So it's a little bit difficult to draw clear partisan lines around crypto because there are some Republicans who have some concerns about it. And there are Democrats who are pro crypto. Uh, but in general, Democrats are looking for more cracking down on these cryptocurrency firms where Democrats feel like they're not being regulated the way that they should be, that the existing rules are not being enforced the way that they should be. Whereas Republicans are saying that crypto firms need more guidance about what the rules are that apply to them. And so it's basically like, you know, uh, do less, say more. So there was a Senate hearing last week. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs will come to um, order this hearing. How to regulate cryptocurrency. And I heard that it got very intense and heated. And I was wondering if you could sort of tell me what went down at that hearing. Yeah, so um, the chair of the SEC, his name is Gary Gensler. Chair Gensler, welcome back. It is good to see you despite our significant disagreements. I do appreciate your dedication. He has been cracking down more on some crypto companies and Republicans. So, for example, like Pat Toomey. So I'm frustrated. Has been very frustrated. By the lack of helpful SEC public public guidance explaining how you make this distinction. Because he basically says that, you know, the, the rules that these companies have to comply with aren't clear. And so the SEC is basically just giving guidance, you know, behind closed doors and that crypto companies don't really know what they need to do to comply. Whereas Gensler responded that, you know, the definition of a lot of these financial terms like a security is something that's been laid out and the Supreme Court has weighed in on. And so he thinks that, you know, his authority here is pretty clear. And so I, I do think that there is sort of this tension as to whether Congress needs to weigh in more. But on the other hand, you also have some Democrats like Elizabeth Warren 
who are extremely skeptical of cryptocurrencies. There are a whole list of problems with crypto, unreliable tech, uh, scams, devastating climate impact, but high unpredictable fees can make crypto trading really dangerous for people who aren't rich. She thinks that a lot of this is just ways to scam people and to, you know, it, to be confusing so that you can make money off of people and that it's not actually ultimately going to be that helpful in a lot of instances. So even though it's not a completely partisan fight, you definitely have Republicans now starting to speak up more for crypto as sort of like a budding industry. And you have Democrats, you know, at least some Democrats voicing a little bit more skepticism about whether crypto really deserves to have some of the leeway that people want to give it. And legitimacy, really, right? Yeah. So do you get the sense that lawmakers understand this at all? Um, to varying degrees, but I, I would say in large part, no. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that's difficult about crypto is that it's developing so quickly. It's changing so quickly. And that's one of the things that's really difficult about legislating it. Um, and, and I heard this, you know, in, in some of my conversations with administration officials, basically, like, you don't want to be that specific necessarily in how you legislate crypto, because the way that the industry looks now might not be what it looks like, you know, in a year or two because this technology mm. is developing so rapidly. And so that's another thing that makes it really hard, particularly from a legislative standpoint, right? Like government agencies take a while to do stuff, but Congress, you know, will, may only weigh in on things once every oh, right. decade or whatever. Um, and so if you legislate on crypto, you kind of want to make sure that it's going to work for at least a little while. Right. What's at stake if these lawmakers don't understand crypto? Well, so, I mean, in general, not knowing what you're legislating about is is a bad recipe for policy. You're definitely going to get out foxed, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, crypto technology – you could see a lot of a lot of usefulness, potential usefulness for it, right? Like people being able to get money in their accounts more quickly, people being able to not have to have, you know, a, a bank account in order to get money or get a loan. Like there's there's some theoretical promise to all of that. But if you don't think about it in a really smart way, you can either just kill the positive aspects of something and have, you know, it just go offshore and, you know, feed illicit activity. Because I mean, I don't think crypto would, would ever just completely go away just because of what the, the U.S. does. But also, you know, you, you potentially can leave the door open for for people to, to get screwed over. Or money launder or... <laughs> yeah. So according to Forbes, Congress has introduced... 18 bills on crypto and blockchain this year alone. Does that feel significant to you? Yeah, so that's a huge number of bills. I don't know exactly what the exact numbers have been in previous years, but it's definitely a massive uptick. And um, it demonstrates the fact that so much money is going into the cryptocurrency market. You know, the price of Bitcoin has doubled since like December, which is less than a year ago. And that's pretty crazy. Wow. So yeah, the, the price of Bitcoin is is somewhere above $40,000. So doubling is also no small feat. And I think that's representative of how much money is flowing into that market right now. 
But it's also a recognition of the fact that these markets are slowly becoming more mature and, and they've changed a lot even in the last couple of years. And so I think that's also kind of getting people's attention and making Congress realize that they really need to start digging in and uh, putting some some guardrails around it. So what is the goal of these 18 bills that were introduced this year? Can you give me an idea of the power dynamics on the Hill behind these bills? A lot of what the crypto legislating efforts are right now are just an effort to define what they are, as I was getting at earlier, right? Like, are they a form of money? Are they a commodity? Are they a security that's supposed to sort of be sort of like a, a loan or a bond or something that, that will fund future activity? So... A lot of what Congress is doing is sort of, you know, thinking fundamentally about how we should think about these things. Mm. There are people on both sides of the aisle who are supportive of some of crypto's goals. So, for example, like Ron Wyden, who's the top Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee, was one of the people who sided with the crypto industry in that congressional tax reporting fight. But there is still a ton of skepticism about cryptocurrencies. There's still a sense that, you know, are these things maybe scams? I mean, to be fair. Or a way to get around tax reporting, to get around the system. Right, exactly. And so, um, you know, there, there have been a couple of pretty extensive bills that have come out. So, for example, like Don Beyer, who's the chairman of the Joint Economic Committee, put out some extensive legislation, you know, sort of along the lines of what I was saying, d- defining a lot of these things. But that goes to show you that so much of the conversation in Congress is still just so preliminary. And this this actually goes for, for the financial regulators, too. They're just like, <laughs> we're so far from, from getting to extremely specific, like, should we tweak the rule in this way? Should we tweak the rule in that way? It's basically like, how should we think about these things? What things can they do that are positive and what things can they do that are negative? And that's a conversation that's still like actively happening. It feels very basic. Mm-hmm. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Okay, now who are the special interests behind this besides obviously crypto? Like what are the power dynamics? Are the big banks getting involved? The crypto lobbying landscape is really interesting, in part because most of it is is really new. Um, you know, we've had a, a couple of lobbying groups that have been around for at least a few years, like the Blockchain Association and Coin Center. Um, but in general, I think a lot of people were caught off guard by the extent to which crypto was able to kind of fight back against these tax reporting requirements and the bipartisan infrastructure package. And so you do have sort of this small but growing group of people that are lobbying just on behalf of the cryptocurrency industry itself. And that's sort of a a newer section of K Street. There is also traditional financial firms that are wanting to get involved in lobbying for crypto, where on the one hand, they don't want these firms to, you know, they argue that there needs to be a level playing field 
where, uh, you know, these firms don't have lighter rules than they face because basically what, what banks and brokers and these traditional finance firms argue is that these firms need to rise and fall on their own merit and not just because they don't face the same rules as traditional firms. But on the other hand, there are banks and brokers and other traditional financial firms that actually want to get in on the crypto game. They want to serve clients that trade in these things. There's a lot of money mm. to be made there. And so that's not necessarily as clear cut where it's not like banks are necessarily anti-crypto. They're just basically, you know, pro-crypto rules that are going to help them. Mm. Okay, so obviously there's a lot of money in crypto. That means there are usually some really powerful, fancy lobbyists in their Gucci's on Capitol Hill. What's the fight like? Yeah, so that was another really interesting aspect of the of the congressional crypto tax fight that I was talking about last month, which is this was really the first time that the crypto industry really had to, to gear up and f- try and fight a bill because uh, they had never been used as sort of a, a pay for a revenue uh, item for for legislation before, and um, I think I think to to some extent they were actually kind of caught off guard by that. But they've gotten a lot of powerful people on their side. You know, there there are people like Max Baucus, who used to be chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, and you know, all of these other sort of top government people have wow. gone into at least part time crypto lobbying, and you know, we we've seen. Some more groups crop up. The the Blockchain Association and the Coin Center are sort of the historical ones, <laughs> you know, historical in, in the sense of crypto, as in they've been around for, you know, maybe five years. Um, actually, the Blockchain Association might be younger than that. But anyway, you know, you've started to see some other crypto focus groups where it's actually traditional finance firms that want to lobby on crypto stuff because they now have an interest in it also. So mm. I think that even crypto as a lobbying force is also sort of a new development, which is also interesting because uh, you also have like a, a really huge group of people out there in the world who care a lot about crypto because, you know, they're investors and they're passionate in this. And so one of the things that we saw, too, was this sort of grassroots mobilization of people against the bill. And so um, they were actually really able to kind of slow down the bipartisan infrastructure package in the Senate, although they, they ultimately lost. But I mean, I think that the the force of their response, they got Gene Simmons from KISS to like tweet for them. And, uh, you know, they had Jack Dorsey, who's like super wow. pro Bitcoin fighting for this. They've got celebs on their side. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that the, the fight that they put up kind of uh, surprised people. Do you think we're at a turning point? Yeah, I, I do. I think we've reached the point where people generally feel like crypto is something that they can no longer ignore, that it's something that, you know, you're going to have to decide what you think about it and what to do about it, which is no easy task. Mm. It's kind of funny, too, because, you know, as I said before, cryptocurrencies were sort of originally designed with the idea of being outside of government. And so it's really interesting because even within the crypto community, you have all these different factions where there are some companies who their entire business model is like, let's design our business model to be within regulatory parameters. We're going to talk with the government agencies and mm. be in line with what they want. But it's not like the other part of the crypto community has gone away. The part that's like suspicious of government and wants nothing to do with them and wants like a completely parallel financial system. 
So there are two huge bills coming up. The budget reconciliation package, that's the trillion dollar package we've been talking about almost every day in Playbook. Um, And in this package, Congress, for the first time, is drafting rules to bring in more tax revenue from crypto trading. And the House is preparing to pass the other major bill, the infrastructure bill, that would impose new tax reporting requirements on crypto players. Feels like a big deal. What do you think? It is a big deal. And, you know, just as sort of an aside, crypto is kind of like a a white whale for the IRS because it's actually really difficult to track a lot of the activity out there. And there was an estimate from the head of the IRS recently that something like a trillion dollars worth of taxes that should be being paid aren't being paid. And there's a thought that a lot of that might be crypto because there's now this entire ecosystem of, you know, financial contracts and products that are all based in crypto. And it's really hard to know who's getting what and what the value of different things are. It's like a really difficult thing to tax. This is interesting, too, because one of the big fights, obviously, for these these bills is like, how do we pay for them? So I think that crypto is sort of like the new target to say, you know, hey, this it seems like there's a lot of money that we're leaving on the table here as the government. Mm. Okay, so last month, SEC Chair Gary Ginsler said, crypto is like the Wild West. Hey, I also said that, okay? <laughs> but do you think that's true? And how is that about to change? It has been the Wild West. But regulators are now clearly sending a signal that they're starting to crack down more. I mean, even on Tuesday, you saw the Treasury Department for the first time crack down on a crypto exchange that they thought was facilitating illicit activity, and they they sanctioned them. They sort of put a line out saying, hey, crypto exchanges, if you're facilitating illegal activity, we might come after you too. So mm. it's it's like, it's it's been the Wild West, but I think there's a sense that maybe that's starting to end because you're, you're starting to have the Biden administration come in and say, party's over. (laughs) Yeah, right. Are we in a place right now where over the next few months or even year, our financial system will change fundamentally? Are we overstating this or does it really feel like something big is about to happen? I mean, so yes, there there is huge fundamental changes that are happening in the financial system. And it's it's really not just because of crypto. I mean, when you think about all these financial technology companies that have come in, things like you know, Venmo, right? Like there are all of these ways where technology is disrupting the way that um, we traditionally done finance. And so I think that crypto is just sort of um, an accelerator of that. And it'll be really interesting to see the extent to which crypto becomes sort of a normal part of the financial system and how much of it remains just kind of like an investment that people look to to, to make money. Thank you so much, Victoria. This was illuminating. Thank you for having me. And that's our show. Our producers are Adrian Hurst and Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Mike Zappler is Playbook's daily newsletter editor. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. And before you go... I want to tell you about a new podcast Politico has just launched called Global Insider, where each episode brings you intimate conversations with the leaders tackling the biggest challenges facing our world. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
I also want to invite you to take our new listener survey. It helps us learn more about your interests and improve our content. What do you want to hear from Politico's podcast? Let us know at politico.com slash pod survey. That's politico.com slash P-O-D survey. 